0: You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Venom Audio Network. Well, Hello and welcome again to The Way Home Podcast. I'm so glad you're joining me today and I'm grateful for the kind feedback that I've heard from you about particular guests and episodes, keep that coming. You can go to danieldarling.com and go to the contact page and contact me there and let me know your thoughts on the podcast. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. Today we have a wonderful guest, uh, my friend Patrick Schreiner. And if that name sounds familiar, it's because um, Patrick is part of a family of theologians. Uh, Patrick's father is Tom Schreiner, who's one of the most uh, renowned New Testament theologians. And Patrick is a New Testament scholar in his own right. And he is currently now uh, at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, director of the residency PhD program and associate professor of New Testament and biblical theology. He previously taught at Western Seminary in Oregon and has a PhD from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, Patrick is a prolific writer, and I love his work. He's written books, uh, including The Kingdom of God and the Glory of the Cross, uh, Matthew, Disciple, and Scribe, The First Gospel, and His Portrait of Jesus. He's written a book on the ascension of Christ, Recovering a Neglected Doctrine. Um, His latest work is... Uh, The Visual Word, an illustrated guide to the New Testament books. This is a unique resource that I encourage every pastor to put in their library. When I was preaching every week, uh, one of the things I enjoyed doing was planning out my preaching, planning out my sermons uh, throughout the year. And I would uh, really consult dozens of book outlines of the Bible books that I would be preaching through, whether I found them in the beginning of commentaries or in study Bibles. Um, but what Patrick has here is a really great um, outline of each book of the New Testament, and not just outlines, but a visual way to kind of see the overall themes of what the, uh, the writers of the New Testament were getting at, what the main themes are, what the, the sub-themes are. Um, in a way that's very helpful. And you don't have to be a pastor to own this book. I mean, even when you're going through your Bible reading, this is a great resource to pull off the shelf to kind of take a step back from your scripture and say, what is the overall uh, context here? What is the overall message here? What is What are the themes here? I really, really enjoy it. It's something that uh, I plan on using in my writing and my speaking and preaching going forward. Um, so I encourage you to get it. We talked to Patrick about his journey into being a scholar. You know, his dad is a New Testament scholar. Did he feel that same call? Was it something that happened late in life? Uh, About, you know, why he just loves studying the New Testament, and particularly uh, the Gospels, why that has been such a passion for him. And, And lastly, we talk a little bit about the NBA. We both love NBA basketball, and we have a little conversations about his Portland Trailblazers, my Chicago Bulls, and other such things. I think you'll enjoy this conversation with Patrick Schreiner. Well, I'm I'm glad to welcome my friend uh, Patrick Schreiner to the Way Home Podcast. Patrick, thanks for joining me today, man. Yeah, good to be on here with you. I've wanted to have you on for a while because I've enjoyed your work uh, for some time, so we'll talk about this uh, great new book, "The Visual Word: Illustrated Outlines of the New Testament Books." Uh, it's it's quite unlike anything I've seen, so I really enjoy that. But before we do that, I want to talk about just uh, a little bit about yourself and kind of your story a little bit. I don't think I've had you on before. Maybe I have, but uh, you know, how did you get interested in uh, theology? You you teach taught at the seminary level for for some time. Mm-hmm. Um, Talk about your journey into that. I mean, your dad is Tom Schreiner, so you had exposure to. Th- Last time I checked, <laughs> you had a exposure to you know theology and scholarship your whole yeah. life. Yeah, yeah. But was it something that you you always knew you were going to do? You always knew you were going to teach uh, no. or be in the academy? Did you think you were going to play in the NBA? Did you think you were going <laughs> to like what? What was your what was your, what were you thinking? Yeah,
1: I mean, we. It's funny you bring that up in terms of the NBA. We you know, my dad did teach in the seminary and was a pastor when I was growing up. And when he would have students over, we would like, they would talk about theology and we would go watch the Vikings game or the twins game. We grew up in Minnesota. So we were more interested in sports. So um, yeah, I I basically was reading Sports Illustrated, wanted to be a baseball or basketball player. Unfortunately, my dad's not tall enough for either of those. So um, (laughs) no. and, And so I didn't know early on, I didn't, really understand even what he did. So, it kind of grew over time. Honestly, I went into college not following the Lord. Um, I do think I was saved at a young age, but I was kind of backsliding in college. And then through the ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ and through a church I was at, um, I got interested kind of in the scriptures. Again, honestly, I'd stopped reading my Bible. I'd kind of stopped caring about things of the Lord. And through the prayers of many people, I I just kind of re-engaged and... Um, I found out, even though I kind of knew all the right Christian answers, there was a depth to it that I hadn't realized. And so, um, I I kind of went into the leadership team with Crusade at a secular university that I was going to. And then I went on staff at a church. And from there, it was kind of like, I just love ministry. I was thinking more towards pastoral ministry. But then as I got into school, I recognized I liked the academic side as well. And so, Um, I've never really left the church in terms of ministry, but uh, I definitely feel like I'm more gifted on the academic side. So that's kind of where I've landed. And yeah, I I never thought I'm going to do like what my dad does. It was never really a desire even early on. Um, It just kind of worked out that way. So now we get to go and do conferences together, which is fun.
0: Yeah, which is awesome. I mean, and as I I joked last night on Twitter... I like the, I like the double Schriner thing. Um, I've yeah. it, I've enjoyed is your one dad's sweet
1: work. is one sour. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah.
0: One is it. <laughs> yeah, one sweet, one sour. Or you um, could
1: say one's aged a little bit more. No.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. One's aged a little bit more. <laughs> That's right. Um, I've enjoyed both of your your work. You know, your dad is you know really a Pauline scholar, and I've enjoyed his work, and I've enjoyed your work as well, and. Um, uh, just, just speaking about that, I want to just take a little diversion. You grew up in Minnesota, which is funny. So I grew up in the Chicago area.
1: Oh yeah.
0: Uh, but we are, the church I grew up in, uh, owned a resort in Minnesota. So every year I spent every summer up there, uh, like oh, nice. Northern, yeah. like Northern Minnesota. So like okay. Walker, Cass Lake, Bemidji area. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's just really great unspoiled wilderness. You know, we were right. on a Lee, it's called leech lake and we would go there every year and nice. um you know i was a i was a dock boy cleaning fish and you know yeah you know cleaning boats and doing all that stuff but i just loved it up there i love yeah. minnesota in the summer bald eagles and bear and moose and so great
1: it's great in the summer the other six months when there's snow on the ground not so it's much okay yeah
0: <laughs> not so much and i will say this one of my buddies in college one of my best friends he was the best man at my wedding He's from Minnesota. He's like a hardcore Minnesotan. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in Chicago, we get a lot of snow. Yeah. But we have snowblowers. Right. In Minnesota, like my buddy would come and we would, uh, you know, hey, can you college guys go shovel the driveway with this, you know, widow or whatever? So I'd go with him. He'd be like, give me that shovel. And he would shovel like a maniac. (laughs) like a machine that I've never seen before. There's like another level, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's like built into their muscle-like system, basically, because you have to do it so much. Everyone, when I came from Minnesota, was like, oh, did you do like ice fishing? Um, Did you do like hunting? And I was like, yeah, if you knew my dad, no. Neither of those things did we do. But I loved watching the big Ford trucks drive out onto these massive lakes and then just like drill a hole into the ground and start fishing and everyone's like, aren't they going to fall through? And you're like, no, that ice is like 15 No, they have like thick.
0: streets on, the, they have like streets <laughs> mapped out on the, on the exactly. lake. No, it's amazing.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: and yeah. And, and the cool thing about Minnesota is so many lakes that you live in a town, like a sub, like, like a city, but you're 30 minutes from like some lake. Yeah. That's everybody's right. got a yeah. truck and a boat basically. Yep. Yeah. yeah. it's pretty cool. Utah. Um, I want to talk. Uh, also, you mentioned something that, you know, you grew up, in the church, you grew up with a with a dad who is a pastor and a Bible scholar, but you kind of had your own season. I don't know. Would you call it a season of rebellion, a season mm-hmm. of kind of thinking yeah. through that? You know, talk talk about that. You know, there's a if you're a second generation Christian, which I am. You know, my my dad was a not a pastor, but a faithful lay elder. You know, there, it, there's a kind of um, different experience you have with the faith that you almost have to. Not everyone has to rebel and come back, but you do have mm-hmm. to kind of grab hold of it yourself. You do, uh, you do. Talk about that.
1: Yeah, so I, you know, it, it was the sin in my own heart for sure, but I kind of got bored with what I knew. Um, you know, if you're saved later in life, even high school, college, it's not what you grew up maybe knowing, and so it's all fresh and new, but for me, from the time I was born... I, was, I wasn't christened, but you know what I mean? <laughs> like I, yeah. I was in the church. And so I was hearing people preach. I was hearing good doctrine. I was hearing good gospel presentations. They were healthy churches. So in Minnesota, we were at Piper's church. My dad was an elder there kind of a, during the growing days. And so it was kind of all I knew. And because of that, and I went to a Christian high school, and there was a lot of people there who claimed to be Christians who actually weren't Christians. And hopefully, maybe they've come back to the Lord, but at that time, they weren't walking with the Lord. So it it, it was a little bit confusing to me because all of my circles were Christians, but some of them had grabbed onto the faith and some hadn't. And for me, honestly, it was a time where I was like, I need to know what else is out there. It was kind of my exploratory, like, this is not satisfying anymore, and I want to see... I, the sin in my own heart that I want to see what the world has to offer. And so I explored that a little bit and I found it really empty, honestly. Um, in one way, sin, rebellion is fun. Um, because there's a sense in which it's enticing and it's attractive. So I can't deny that aspect of it, but it kind of, at the end of the day, it was very unsatisfying. And so, um, I, I, I kind of just got into the party life and I recognized, man, like people just live for the weekend, they live for these parties, and that's it. Like, they hate their jobs. Not all of them, but some of them do. So it's either kind of the career side or the party side or whatever it is. And it just became really empty to me. Um, and so, yeah, I I don't, in terms of even raising my own kids, I've thought through what exposure do I give them to the world and how much do I pull back from that exposure? <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of the question in terms of in my own mind I'm still figuring out like how much do we protect our children and how much do we let them loose to experience it so that they can kind of figure that out on their own. And I I don't have a great answer for that. I think that's It's a tension, a, man. That's I mean, a balance I, I, every parent kind of has to deal with.
0: It's a tension. We face that too. I mean, it's not as clear cut all the time about and every every one of our kids is different in the way that they uh, are created in terms of how they can handle these things right um so many factors and you don't really you don't really learn that until you actually see your kids going through it um uh, but it is interesting you know growing up with sound theology like you did did that give you a basis from which to then draw from or or something to come back to i, I mean i hear people say you know really form and shape your kids catechize your kids however we say it so mm-hmm. that they have something to come back to
1: Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I hadn't thought about that in the way you framed it, but certainly it did when the Lord kind of started to stir my heart again and my affections for Him. I had the foundation to know who He was, (laughs) where to go in the scriptures, what the gospel is. And I think it was uh, the head knowledge was always there. It's just the heart, the affections weren't matching that. And so, honestly, as the affections started to be stirred, it was that the truth was already there, so that that actually had a huge impact. Um, and the the first thing I noticed, and this I mean, this kind of actually propelled me into ministry. The first thing I noticed is the Lord started to stir my affections again, where the scriptures were beautiful to me again. They were they were boring to me during my rebellion. I I just didn't care at all, and suddenly I was drawing life like water from the scriptures. And I was just kind of drinking as much as I could. And prayer life was starting to grow. And so it was interesting to kind of look back over my life and to watch even my own heart come become cold to the things of the Lord. And that wasn't a day. It was more of a, you know, multiple years where I was just kind of like, I don't I don't really care anymore. I I don't know. It's it's weird. Yeah, it is interesting.
0: I think it is a it's a process, right? I, I talked about this with Peter when I wrote about Peter that his calling was multiple callings, you know, God approached, you know, Jesus approached him in in several ways and it was just like a process. But it is interesting when that light comes on in your life, you know, I think Jerry Wilson will call it like a gospel awakening, right? You're a believer, but God really, the spirit awakens something in you and you just have a hunger and a love for the scriptures. That's right. That, uh, is hard to, you know, that is, that is exciting and alive, which probably then fueled your desire to say, you know, not only am I hungry about the scriptures, but I want to make this a life. That's I want right. to study the scriptures for my life.
1: Yeah, it became so exciting to me that I was doing journalism in school, loved it. Uh, we were at, I was at Western Kentucky University, and it was a great journalism school. But I found myself just so interested in leading Bible studies and preaching and what Sunday school that I found like that's what I want to do. So what, what I was like, whatever realm I get to study this, that's what I want to do. So that was. Really, what I felt like my calling was, and I was like, "I'll figure out what that means in the long term." Uh, it's a, I didn't have to figure it all out at that point. It was nice to have my dad too, when I had questions about it. I'd be like, "Hey, what's going on in Romans nine? Yeah. I have no idea what's happening here." You know, and yeah, was like, oh yeah, what, what am I
0: supposed to think about this? Yeah. <laughs> well, and one of the things I just really appreciate about you and your dad is, you know, like scholarship for the life of the church. Mm-hmm. You know, I I I am so grateful for scholars like you, because you serve pastors like us writers like us with your work you know well um, i at-
1: that's kind of you i feel like i um, i i you know i love the church and i want to write for the church and honestly for me i just need to i need to simplify things <laughs> so i feel like i'm a simple man and i need it simple myself so I, a lot of times what i'm trying to do is take concepts that i've read kind of in the higher scholarly world and just mm-hmm. bring it down so people can understand yeah. it and and even apply it so yeah.
0: yeah. Well, and probably your journalism background helps you with that a little bit. I'm That's sure. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I, I think there's this unnecessary divide, right, uh, on scholarship that, you know, I, I don't like the framing a lot of times where it's like Bible studying the Bible as a serious student of the Bible is almost seen as like a hobby. Well, he's he's really into Bible study or she's really into Bible <laughs> right. study. Now, obviously, right, right. there's levels where, um. Every lay person is not called to be Tom Schreiner or D.A. Carson or Patrick Schreiner, mm-hmm. but every person, to me, when I read the New Testament, it's assumed that every person is a lifelong student of Scripture, That's right? right? So That's theology right. does matter. So yeah. explain why we need to really be serious about theology in that way.
1: Yeah, I mean, God has communicated who he is. He has revealed himself in his word. So this is not just for those who are teaching. This is for every Christian and I, what I love is there is a recovery of the movement of we we don't need to just train those who are going into ministry. we need to train all people to learn to read the Word of God, to learn to commune with him. Uh, that's I mean in the early church this was called catechesis, right? This is what you did. You, you learned the fundamentals of the faith basically and so I love that I'm seeing I mean actually I've gotten to go visit churches now where they have training institutes where it's basically an in-the-church training where you have hundreds of people. And, and what I love is that almost all the churches I go to, people are interested. They want to come. They're Christians. And people are like, oh, that'll be too much for them. Like, They don't have time for that, or it's, it's too high of knowledge for them. And, and we just went to California, and there were 120 people in there in Orange County. And they were just soaking it up. Like they love to study the scriptures. And all we did was we just walked in there and opened the Bible and started talking about it and people were loving it. So
0: I, I I so agree with that because I think we have, you know, George Bush had that statement, the soft bigotry of low expectations, Mm. you know, that, that we just kind of assume people don't want this. We have to, we have to dumb everything down. And I do think as, as Christian communicators, we do need to make things clear. However, I think there's a great hunger. I'm seeing a great hunger for people to know the deep things of of, of God, and you know, on the one hand, we don't want scholar like we don't want to see Bible study and scholarship as just a hobby for the board, <laughs> but we also we want scholarship that bends itself toward the church, right? That's that, right. That, That's right. That minds that gap. One of my big concerns, and I love the work that you're doing, and people like J.T. English and others are doing. Just you know, there's a gap between the academy and the and the laity, right? There there are people in our churches that will go on to go to seminary, but most won't. And that's most right. probably shouldn't mm-hmm, and can't. Mm-hmm. So how do we recover some theological education in the church? You know, yep. that to me is a project for the next for, for this generation.
1: That's right. And you do have to create a culture in your church where that's desired. And I think it starts on Sunday mornings and it starts with the culture of the church before that. You can't just say, hey, we're gonna start this without creating Already a desire for there's a lot in here that'll help me in my own life. You know what I mean? Then that I think that begins in the pulpit. So I was I'm always impressed with those churches that are doing that because I think it probably didn't start when I <laughs> actually I know it didn't start when we came. It started 20 years ago when that pastor came and he started opening the scriptures and saying this is relevant for you and there's a lot in here that you can you can actually drink from and so it created. A desire in the people and then slowly they started thinking okay how can we make this more accessible actually train these people more and more and more and so it, like that class i was talking about there was everything from college students to 70 year olds in the church who had been there for 50 years that's awesome who were like like they just wanted to be there so um yeah. I, I just love those models yeah Hello
0: friends, I just want to tell you about a really new partnership uh, that we have developed with an amazing company called Canopy. Now, I don't know about you, but as a parent, I find it increasingly difficult to monitor my children's internet consumption with all the devices and computers. And how do you balance safety on the internet in terms of objectionable content, pornography and things that we don't want them to see with speed and use of the internet for things that they need, like their homework, getting hold of them. My oldest one is driving and I want to be able to, her to have a way to get a hold of me. How do you do that? Well, sometimes it feels like you have to prioritize either speed and accuracy and accessibility or safety. Well, my friends at Canopy have developed this really neat tool that they beta tested in Israel. And it's so good, they brought it over to the United States and it uses this proprietary technology Uh, using artificial intelligence to block objectionable images, but not always necessarily websites. And so how this works is that even on their phones, if someone texts them something objectionable or they're going to a website that they need to go to, but there's objectionable images, it doesn't block the website, but it'll block the the images from coming through. And it works uh, in multiple apps that are on their phone in ways that a lot of other filters don't. It's a great, great tool. And if you are a Way Home listener, you can go to canopy.us slash wayhome. That's canopy.us slash wayhome, C-A-N-O-P-Y.us slash wayhome. And you can get a special discount, your first 30 days free and 20% off of Canopy for life. So you want to do that. Go to canopy.us slash wayhome and check this out. It's a great tool that I know you will use and, and be thankful for as a parent. Like your dad, you've, you've really primarily focused, I mean, you obviously are a Bible scholar, but your, your focus has been New Testament. Um, and obviously, you know, looking through your work, it's, uh, you know, book of Acts, you know, some of the gospels, Matthew for you, what kind of drew you to the new Testament as a, as an area of extended focus and maybe even some of those books particularly?
1: Yeah. And as I was going through school, I recognized, and you know, as I talked about earlier, just the studying the scriptures in depth was what was exciting to me. So I got into the languages and I really enjoyed them. And I think my tendency towards kind of the narrative portions of scripture, I was coming up in school when biblical theology was all the rage, and it still is in terms of the storyline of the scripture. And I think in the past, I'd kind of intuitively thought okay, Paul is where you get the theology, the gospels, and the narrative is just the story aspect and and almost subordinated it in some sense. Like Paul is where you really get the propositions, where you get like atonement theology, where you get stuff about election and all the debated stuff, right? Um, But as I started studying the narrative portions of the scriptures, and especially in the New Testament, the gospels and acts, I started to realize and this is, should be obvious to everyone, but I think it just clicked for me in a unique way that Paul is really drawing from the life of Jesus for all of this theology. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all of them are writing with a theological bent. And so kind of combining that story and the, um, the narrative of these texts with the, the theology of them got me really excited. So I, I really have been focusing in terms of my scholarship upon um, those narrative portions of scripture. Matthew, beginning with Matthew and then Acts. Oh, it's kinda interesting. I've never thought of it this way. The first narrative portion and then Acts. <laughs> I'll have to go back and do Mark and Luke and John in between. But um yeah, yeah that's that's kind of been my focus, but it, it's um I've really widened it to the whole New Testament. I you know, some people like to be to do kind of one thing their whole life. I'm I actually would love to get into Paul. I'd love to write a commentary on Ephesians at some point um, because I'm really interested in kind of the supernatural spiritual warfare aspect of things. So um, yeah, I'd love to continue to broaden my horizons, but my, my first love has kind of been these the Gospels and Acts.
0: Yeah. So let's get to this great book, The the actual reason I had you on this podcast before we... Talked about all these other things that were interesting. <laughs> um, so this is a this is an awesome book that I want to encourage everyone to get. It's called the Visual Word Illustrated Outlines of the New Testament Books. It's something unlike anything I've seen. You know, there are mm-hmm. books of outlines, right? Every commentary right. set has outlines, yep. or uh, which is very helpful. You know, when I'm I don't preach every week like when mm-hmm. I was a senior pastor, mm-hmm. but man, when I did, and I was laying out a book, you know, I, I would like lay out for a year yeah. my preaching. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. a lot of guys do. Those outlines are helpful. I never copied anyone's outline directly, but you know, you have four or five of these in front of you and it kind of spurs the creativity and, like, okay, what peric- you know, how much scripture should I take? What chunk should I do? You're looking at other people. Do I take this long? Do I take this short? How do I do this? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I like about this is it gives you, it gives uh, us a bird's eye view of every book of the Bible. Because when you do, when I, I feel like when you do verse-by-verse verse preaching, which I, I feel like is the way to preach, you know, expository preaching, you can easily forget the the whole of what the book is doing, right? Mm-hmm. The the, mm-hmm. the kind of the flow of the book, the narrative themes, yeah. which you're, this book really helps us to do. Was this one of the motivations for you creating this so people can kind of just step back and say, okay, for instance, here's the book of Acts. Here's the major themes. Here's the overall theme. Is that, was that kind of your... your yeah, you know, and what you're talking focus? about
1: is I, I find myself when I study, I get lost in all the details, and I think most people do. We don't read books like this uh, that have so many different genres, that have so many words that mm-hmm. they're broken up into chapters for us, which is nice. But I mean, the book of Acts is 28 chapters. It's really long, and there's speeches in there, and there's... Things that you're like, how does this fit? And I'm increasingly convinced as I teach that um, relating parts to the whole is really how you understand it. So why does this narrative come in this place? And so I'm constantly, when I study the scriptures, asking, why did this story come after this story? How are these two stories related? What is the author trying to get across? And so when I taught, honestly, it was a way for me, I, I would go up to the whiteboard, kind of like you said, as you were preparing sermon series. And I would basically block off sections as I taught and said, I think this whole section fits together. And here's the theme. Here's what he's getting at. And then I do another section. We go down the details. And what I found in class is that students found that kind of visual way of blocking it on a whiteboard. It was so helpful. Like everyone was pulling out their iPhones and taking pictures of it. You know, it was kind of like that moment where I was like, this is for me to- <laughs> To help me remember where we're going. This is for you to see it. And then they were like, I want all your outlines. I want to see all of them. And so through that process, I just kind of figured out, wow, this is really helpful. And then um, somebody at Moody came to me and said, hey, you should make these into a book because you're posting them on Twitter and people are loving these things. And so we had to reframe how we thought about it. Um, but I I just think seeing the big picture of each New Testament book, and we're we're hoping to do an Old Testament version coming up soon. But um, is so important. So I love that I got to work with an illustrator who kind of knows theology, who could help me think of like what image fits for this book of the Bible. So it is a very unique book in terms of it it matches kind of literary outline with the images. I found as as you said, when I go to these commentaries or I go to these study resources, where it's like. Uh, what we call a synthetic outline or a one su- sub-point A, subpoint I, subpoint whatever B, Th- those are somewhat helpful. But when they go on for like five pages, you're like, what is happening here? Like, I right, right, I, right. I can't like get my mind around what's going on here. So I was trying to give a more simple one page. Here's one way to conceive of what's going on in the whole book, the flow of the narrative. It's not the only way to conceive of it. But here's one way, and I but it's really a good hope starting I can point. serve pastors and just Bible readers, honestly.
0: Yeah, I, I I think everyone should get this in their library, and I'm just saying that. But you know, to be able to get the whole bird's eye view of Scripture of, of a book, you know, one of the things I learned studying with Pennington actually when he when I studied the uh, the Gospels is just you know, obviously we all understand that you you need to read Scripture in context, but even just the light turning on for me that even the way that these chapters are arranged, yeah, right, has a purpose, right? That's right. So yep. this is here right after this, and and that there's it's not coincidental. That's and right. I think your outlines help us to see that because I I feel like as a pastor, but even as a Bible reader, I understand specific verses better when I understand wh- kind of what's happening, right? That's right. So think yeah. of our favorite verses that we love to quote. Right. When you understand, do you realize this is this is, this is in the context of this larger narrative of suffering, which is in the context of this, that's right? right? And just all that going on. And I think yeah. as pastors, we can kind of walk our people through books this way, you know, in a way that's just more that's helpful. Right. I think your, yours really yeah. helps us do that.
1: Even last night, I was studying Mark. or Yesterday, I was studying Mark. And maybe I had seen this before, but I forgot about, there's there's somewhere in chapters one through eight, I forget the exact chapter, but uh, Jesus does a water miracle and then he cleanses someone who has an unclean spirit. And I was just thinking about those two narratives together and kind of reading some people on it. And they said, you know, he conquers the land and the sea or the sea and the land. So he conquers the chaos waters and then he goes to land and there's chaos there because of the unclean spirit. And I had never thought of, like, usually when I read those, I'm like, okay, here's one story. Jesus calms the sea. Great. Here's another story. He goes to the demoniac and he says, be gone. And he throws them into the pigs, right? And they drown in the sea. But if you see those two narratives together, suddenly you're seeing that the kingdom of God is coming to all chaos parts of the earth, the land and the sea, (laughs) you know what I mean? And putting them together suddenly makes things click and you start to actually recognize Actually, Jesus is rebuking the waves just like he rebukes the demon, <laughs> and so you like start to make these connections, and that's where I get really excited about the scriptures because we're starting to see things that I think the author and God Himself wanted us to see, and we start to fill out. Oh, like spreading the kingdom of God is actually bringing order to chaos. That that's what it looks like, and I think people really gravitate towards seeing those things. And really I hope this book kind of helps people see those things throughout all the books.
0: Yeah. And I, I think you could also see, like you could see in a book, there's a, you know, you help us with this visual word to see, here's a central theme of this book, not the only theme, but it's a central theme and everything sort of spokes of a wheel around us. Right. So you see what John is driving toward. You see what Luke is driving toward. Um, in our small group, it's funny. We're studying the Book of Acts, and we're just kind of walking through it slowly, piece by piece. And we're seeing that ourselves that the whole Book of Acts is basically Acts one eight mm-hmm. played out.
1: That's right. The gospel That's right.
0: starting in Jer- Jerusalem, and then you know, starting in Judea, then Samaria, the uttermost parts, and then being illustrated the utter you know the the Samaria part and the uttermost parts being illustrated with you know the. The Ethiopian eunuch, and then Peter's vision to go to Cornelius, and that, you know, and then Paul, you know, at Athens, it's just kind of exploding out into the world, and I don't think you see that if you just kind of are taken a little bit. Here's a verse. Here's a verse. Here's a story. That's right. That's right. You know, don't see the whole the whole of it, which which is what the visual word really does. So, yeah, I I really want to encourage folks to get this. We're gonna have links in the show notes. It's a it's a wonderful resource worth investing in having. This is one of those things that you will have on your shelf. And you pull it off the shelf when you're in a book, and you could say, "Oh, okay, this is how I can start to think about Matthew, or this is how I can start to think about Revelation." It, you know, I just want to tell the listeners, trust me, you're gonna, you're gonna be glad you have this. You know, I have, oh, thanks, I have probably a few, I have a lot of books, but I have a few dozen books that I just kind of pull off periodically that are helpful reference and resources. But, anyways, I want to thank you for writing this and uh, and for all that. Okay, we got a few more minutes with you and i actually just want to talk nba for a second cuz i know you're a huge <laughs> nba fan so yeah. are you you were you were in portland for a long time are you a are, did you become a portland fan by being yes. out there is that so is that I, your team
1: yeah i'll give you a little history so i grew up as i said we talked about minnesota so my kind of kevin garnett Stefan marbury were kind of my guys growing up like he especially garnett was like the guy who would always bring us to the playoffs and we'd lose to the spurs in the first round that's what always happened um so i you know minnesota Just is so bad for so long that as I moved away, and I moved away kind of going into high school, I didn't really have another NBA team to go to. But then we moved to Portland in 2014, and Damian Lillard is there. Uh, At that point, I think LaMarcus Aldridge was there. Maybe they were just trading him around that Mm -hmm. time. So they had a good team, C.J. McCollum. And um, I really latched on them. We started going to some games. We actually went to a playoff game, and that was one of the best games I ever saw. We we actually played Golden State, and I think we took them to overtime. And Steph Curry was coming back from an injury, and he like was not good the first three quarters. Then the fourth quarter and the overtime, he like destroyed us, which was amazing. But it was like him and Lillard going back and forth. All, all that to say, um, I fell in love with Damian Lillard just watching him because he's – I tend to think the most clutch player that's in the NBA right now. Um, if you watch him in big games at the end of games, he just has this unique ability to take over a game and I, I've I've never in my lifetime I know i've I need to go back and watch Old NBA, but I've never in my lifetime seen anything like it. just go back and watch uh, who did they play he is he is the super nuggets. clutch. the Nuggets yeah. go watch that nuggets game where he was just hitting it was like, I mean, you're playing a video game with him. He was just hitting threes, three, and they lost the game, of course, because that's the, that's the Blazers for you. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm still a Blazers fan. You know, Kansas City is trying to get a team, but I was in That'd Louisville awesome. when they were trying to get a team, and I'll believe it when I see it.
0: Right, right. Well, you know, it's funny with the, with the Blazers because, you know, I, I grew I, – I, like, came of age in the 90s, in high school in the 90s when the, the Bulls were everything. So I'm a huge right. Bulls fan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, man, I love those Blazers teams. Yeah, yeah. And, Drexler and I, and I those think, guys. Yeah. I think if Jordan wasn't in the league, they would have won a few titles back then.
1: That's right. Um, wasn't it but, Drexler, you know what, though, who thought he was better than Jordan, and then Jordan was like, no.
0: No, but Drexler <laughs> was kind of mini Jordan. He was kind of baby Jordan in a way. I mean, he was yeah. really good. They had some great teams. Um, you know, Lillard is funny. He's so clutch and he's so good, but, like, they can't get over the hump. Like, what's the deal with it? Does he need more help? Do they need to re-engineer the team? Is it is it the way he plays uniquely that makes him spectacular, but the team? Uh, it's just weird. That I weird? think it's
1: a little bit of all that. I think you're actually getting out. I think they need to get more people around him. I know you don't want all of my um, Portland Trailblazers facts, but it is true that Lillard's a little bit of um he's not a gr- – he's a good team player, but he works best off the dribble. <laughs> so he likes to have the ball in his hands. He actually gets quite a few assists, but he he does like to kind of control the momentum, control the yeah. flow of the game. And so I I I don't know if that's not a recipe for success long term, but we'll kind of see. But honestly, they've had a great backcourt and they haven't had a lot of other pieces around them. So they
0: well, and the West is so tough. Let's be honest. The
1: West is tough. And him and CJ have been pretty vocal against kind of the all-star teams. And so they're pretty against going and just like getting all the all-stars together I like that um you know they've said that and we'll see what happens long term in both their
0: careers but I'm I'm actively rooting against the like uh, like last year because the Bulls were so bad I didn't have a dog in the fight but I just did not want the Lakers or the Nets to win I was yeah I was I was totally
1: against the Nets too I was like anybody but the Nets and they
0: I was okay with Chris Paul and the Suns for some reason because I I just felt warm and fuzzy about that (laughs) and I was really happy that Milwaukee did well but I I was like
1: Chris Paul and you the Suns did not feel like a super team to me. No.
0: It's, it, it, was like, it was like a wise old person coming in helping these young kids out, exactly. which
1: I And now the Lakers um, have like everyone is 37 or older, so that's kind of fun. Super
0: rooting. Any team that Carmelo's on, I'm rooting <laughs> against. Um,
1: well, Melo is on the Blazers. He actually went well, w- against,
0: but yeah. He, he kind of uh, had a second life though, right? He
1: did. He, he kind of figured out how to fit into that team, which I thought it was going to be a disaster. He actually figured out, when nobody else is scoring, I can come in and make some buckets, and that was a help, you know.
0: I'm actually excited about what the Bulls are doing. I don't think they're going to win a championship, but at least they'll be like second round of the playoffs and out. Which is yeah. Kind
1: Who did of they stinks, get? Who they pick up? Remind me. I so know they got made ball. Some big Moves.
0: Yeah, they got that's right. They got ball, and they got DeMar DeRozan too.
1: That's right. Yeah,
0: yeah. And then they traded last year for the center from Orlando. The, uh, you know, so. They they're going to be decent and they have uh a great coach and they have a great new GM. They were terrible from the time the Bulls dynasty ended. They had this like weird pride thing of we can build this without Jordan. And you know, if you watch the Last Dance, it makes you even more infuriated. It's like why didn't they milk two or three more years out of this? It, like the, that, like Tampa so, like if yeah. it, it it's like Tampa Bay with Tom Brady. Dude, Tom Brady could be my quarterback until he's 60. I don't right. care right, right? cuz like right. they should have done that with with Jordan the, the whole rush oh, like we're going to was... build this team and it's like what did you end up getting you're like Ron Mercer right. you know like it was right. just so bad
1: and they couldn't get along it was insane like they were they could have had i mean they do have a dynasty but they they could have won a few more years for sure and
0: yeah well, or they're... i mean just try it but anyways yeah. all that to say good nba talk patrick Shrine, i appreciate you man and thanks for coming on coming on here thanks for the work that you do And I want to encourage folks to check out your book, The Visual Word, Illustrated Outlines of the New Testament Books, published by Moody, and uh, all your other books as well. So everyone, everyone go do that. Patrick, thanks thanks for joining me, man.
1: Yeah, good to be on with you.
0: Thank you for listening to this edition of The Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at Dan Darling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. I also want to encourage you again to check out my latest book, Away With Words. And you can visit awaywithwordsbook.com. Thank you for listening in to the Way Home Podcast.